0: Good morning, saints of our Lord, and welcome to Thy Strong Word. I'm your host, Brady Finner, pastor of Messiah Lutheran Church in Sartell, Minnesota. Thank you for tuning us in this morning on Worldwide KFUO, Christ for you anytime, anywhere. Today is Monday, November the 15th, and we gather around the inspired and true Word of God, and we pray in the name of Jesus. We have just completed our study on Ecclesiastes on Friday with Dr. John Nunes, and what a joy it was to end in such a Christ-centered Redeemer fashion and shepherd that we are able to see Christ even in the midst of all the vanity. It's wonderful how we ended. And today, as we prepare, really, as we get to our next study next week, which will be on the Song of Saints. Songs, which will be really interesting with Chris Mitchell, who wrote the commentary on that next week. We're looking forward to that. But in between, we take a little bit of a break. We take a step back and we pray. Because if you're anything like me, I'm not good at praying. And so go to the Psalms, which is our source of prayer today in Psalm 13. Psalm 13 is known as an individual lament psalm of David. And you look up the definition of lament, it's a passionate expression of grief. I want to learn more about today. What does that mean for, for David? And what does that mean for us? And today, all of it, we see Christ. For the gifts are ready, ready for you. Thank you to our friends at Lutheran Heritage Foundation for your support of Thy Strong Word. For more information of their great work, visit lhfmissions.org, lhfmissions.org. To help us be strengthened by God's Word this morning, we welcome with us Pastor Chris Mathis of Epiphany Lutheran Church in Castle Rock, Colorado. Pastor Mathis, welcome to Thy Strong Word.
1: Thank you, Pastor Finnern. Delighted to be with you.
0: Well, Pastor, this is, uh, first of all, you're my first guest from the state of Colorado. So uh, that, that to me, this is a celebration. Next time, if I ever, if I ever see you face to face, we'll have a party. How's that sound?
1: Sounds like a wonderful plan.
0: <laughs> so this is our, our first time together on Thy Strong Word. So tell us about yourself, your family, and the work of the saints at Epiphany.
1: Well, my wife Lisa and I have three children, uh, Benjamin, Michael, and Rachel. We have been here at Epiphany for just over 10 years. This is my second call in the Rocky Mountain District. Um, Our congregation is in a kind of a bedroom community about uh, a third of the way from Denver to Colorado Springs. And some of our folks uh, work in both of those cities. Uh, we we have a you know just a wonderful delightful congregation uh, very loving and welcoming and uh, we are situated directly across the road from an extinct volcano which is kind of exciting I'm glad it's extinct hmm
0: hmm Really? So, so are we talking like this, like a a mountainous like volcano that I would envision one or is it, I don't know how, I don't know how this works. So tell, tell us more about that. And I'm fascinated. So, so it is, it's a butte and uh, they used it as
1: a quarry for rhyolite, which is a volcanic rock that is Hmm. kind of a a pinkish looking uh, quartz like rock that's often used in construction and local buildings around here and uh the uh the the butte is probably i would estimate maybe five hundred feet tall and okay. um okay and so and here in Castle Rock, we're already at uh, about sixty two hundred feet, so we're about a thousand feet higher than the mile high city
0: oh interesting. I was going to ask that question next. Are you in mountainous region? But you already at six thousand feet. That's that's fascinating. Hmm. Okay. Yeah, we're still Anything about
1: else? probably fifteen minutes or fifteen miles east of the foothills for the Rocky Mountains. Um, okay. Okay. But, but we definitely. Um, You know, our weather is often about five degrees cooler than Denver, which is nice in the summer.
0: (laughs) Yes, absolutely. I'm into that. Wow. This is fascinating because Colorado, for someone like myself from Minnesota... That's the place where people will end up if they're going skiing, if they're crazy enough to try to drive out to California, they might end up in Colorado or say go out hunting somewhere in some kind of um, crazy spot. So it really yep. is kind of a mystery land for us in, uh, in Minnesota and Midwestern area. So, um, yeah, anything else you want to share before we start um, studying the word of God?
1: I'll just, maybe I'll just say that it seems like most people, once they come to the Rocky Mountain District, they never leave.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So it it, it is a
1: very beautiful, adventurous area.
0: Well, look out if you get a call to the Rocky Mountain District. If you say yes, you will never be able to leave. Maybe that's a good thing. Probably (laughs) is a good thing. So anyways, well, Pastor, as we begin today, what I want to do is usually we have our, our guest pray and we're we're gonna pray, but we're not gonna necessarily do it the same way, is that and we're gonna talk about this a little bit later in the program, is We're going to start by praying the psalm. So I will read the psalm. And a reminder to our listeners that that we are, one, reading this from the English Standard Version. But also, when we read this prayer, or read this uh, psalm, we are also praying. And it's your prayer, along with David's prayer. And since it is the Word of God, the Holy Spirit's at work. So, Pastor, I will read this and end with a Gloria Patri. And then come back and get some of your first thoughts on this wonderful psalm that we have for us this morning. So, we begin our time in prayer of Psalm 13. And David prays. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? Consider and answer me, O Lord my God. Light up my eyes, lest I sleep in the sleep of death. Lest my enemies say I have prevailed over him. Lest my foes rejoice because I am shaken. But I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. Glory be to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and will be forever. Amen. Amen. So, Pastor, Psalm thirteen is is a I, I, I just I keep finding myself going back to this psalm. So, tell us about it. What, how you want to start us off?
1: Okay. Well, as as you mentioned in the beginning, it is a psalm of lament, and of course, uh, in the Psalms, there are community laments of the people of God, usually of um, of of Israel or in our case of New Israel, the church, this is an individual lament. And, you know, one of the things that I really appreciate about the laments, especially this one, is that it it gives us permission as believers to, um, to have a bad day. <laughs> right. It, it, what I mean by that is, <laughs> you know, we kind of have this idea, this social expectation in our world and sometimes even in the church that you have to be put together and you know present the idea of being positive all the time and optimistic and 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 happy go lucky and, and and cheerful and the reality of our circumstances is that uh especially maybe proven out over the last 18 months is that life is not always like that hmm. and that we can even if we have a hard time perhaps expressing our feelings and how we feel in our sorrow or melancholy um, to other people. We have full and complete permission to just bare our soul, pour out our heart, let our tears fall when we go to God in prayer. And so I think that for me, that's, that's probably one of the things that I most appreciate about this Psalm coupled with the fact that it doesn't stay there um it does move to a better place but only because of what god has done not because of you know some kind of power of positive thinking or something like that
0: so we could have a this is a psalm of you can have a bad day psalm yes (laughs) (laughs) i was looking at a few things with lament i mean because we do have a book called lamentations um, mm-hmm. lamenting. I mean, it is it's in the book. And and you also is looking at in a Lutheran study Bible has a number of great resources, but they put categories into the Psalms. And there's always always debate on how you look at that. But according to them, this is page 488, 846 in the Lutheran study Bible. It talks about individual laments, which is well over 30. I, I think it's 32. I'm doing a quick count here before I program this morning. And then there's community laments, which are even more. I mean, not I mean, there's about forty, well, 45 to 50 of our Psalms, of 150, have some kind of lament, and then you have precatory too. We can go all day. But talking mm-hmm. about that is amazing to me to think about, because if you were to ask the normal Christian, that you, we kind of have this feeling like, you might have a bad day, but don't you bring that into the church. Don't you bring that into the faith talk cuz faith is about joy, not about lament. But I think David and the psalmist might disagree. Any thoughts on that? I think that you're
1: absolutely correct and that um you know, God takes us as we are and 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 the church really should be a place where we try to Um, inculcate a culture where people can be quote unquote real with one another. Um, It says in first Corinthians, you know, that we're called to rejoice with those who rejoice and to weep with those who weep. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. so um, we are to uh, come together with our brothers and sisters around all the feelings and circumstances of life and not just the ones that give us warm, fuzzy feelings.
0: And this is where, I'm thinking of a few moments in scripture, partly because we um, just got done studying the book of, or we're in the middle of studying the book of Ruth. And in the book of Ruth, and this is for for you, our listeners, I encourage you to read the book of Ruth because it really is a powerful stuff and, and so much Christ in the midst of it too. Where Where Ruth and Naomi Naomi goes back to her home, and when she goes back home, they're like, "Hey, it's Naomi. she's back home after 10 years. she's lost her husband, lost her sons, but it's so great to have her back, and she's like, "No, no, no, my name is no longer <laughs> Naomi. My name is Mara, which means bitter." And bitter. she laments the yeah, bitter. And so you look at that and and, and she was allowed to lament. In the midst of that, even though she said some stuff that might have been offensive to others, which is just once again shows us how our Lord is lets us do this, but also how as a church sometimes we need to let people do that as well. So, any I don't any any other thoughts and scriptural accounts of lament or anything because I think it's a very important reality for you, our listeners, to realize that you can lament, that we can um, uh, be bitter, and, and and the reality is that we we. We would lay that out to our Lord's feet and ask him to help us through it. But lament, it's totally a Christian virtue um, as we look at our lives. Any your thoughts? Yeah,
1: I want, I want to comment on verse one, but but you laid open something for me. I can't pass up on the the name Mara <laughs> and the meaning of bitter. Yeah, the, the, yeah. Old, the Old Testament name, Miriam, and Moses' sister, and the New Testament name, Maria, Mary, also mean bitter. Oh, my. um, Oh, my. Think about the situation in Rome at the time of, uh, you know, the first century, and you can maybe imagine why uh, Mary's parents might have named her that. But in any case, so here in uh, Psalm 13, um, the opening phrase, how long in Hebrew, which is uh, occurs 20 times in the Psalms, four of them are right here in Psalm 13. We have it twice in verse one, twice in verse two, and this this phrase "how long," you know, it's it's really kind of it, it's this idea where you like you feel like you're almost on the point of hopeless despair. Like, how much more can I take? How much longer can this go on? How long can we endure? And quite interestingly, this phrase comes up um how long in the book of revelation
0: yeah yeah with
1: the souls of the saints who are under the altar and they say how long o lord until you avenge our blood upon those who are upon the earth and of course they're told well we need to wait a little longer we need to wait for more christians to be killed that the full number of the martyrs may be uh complete um and then they're they're, they're, they're told to, you know, quiet down, be peaceful for a little longer. But, <laughs> um, but I think it's interesting that so the same cry of lament, how long even the souls of the martyrs in heaven are crying this even now. And so if you can sing this in heaven, I think we can sing this on earth.
0: Okay, do you are you ready to sing right now? Do you want to start singing this? <laughs> <laughs> not. Maybe, well, not. We, Maybe. We we don't not. have an
1: organist to to play the chant. <laughs> there you go. I can't us, get but... the
0: tune. I can't get the tune yeah. right. Absolutely. So yeah. I wanna I wanna jump on that and I I'm gonna do this. I'm gonna read verses one and two, and I wanna I want you to um for you and for me, and if you are listeners have any questions uh, to be able to ask us this morning, uh that we look at this. And and how long, how does that relate for us today? So let's read verses one and two, and I really want to dig into that about our current context. Verses one and two How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long would you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? So I, what what struck me is I'm thinking about this line, how long, as you mentioned, it is it is very much so. Uh, it's almost like he's crying out. It's almost like he's screaming. I, I'm trying to think about our context today. What are those moments where we will say, how long? Well, besides our kids, when they ask, how long before we get to our next destination? But <laughs> um, otherwise, in our Christian walk, how long? How, when is that used in our current world?
1: I, I feel like... One of the ways I see it quite frequently um, in the lives of my people and in my own life, too, is when we grieve the loss of our loved ones and our friends who have passed away. Um, I I have a brother in the congregation who has said to me a number of times, how long before this feeling goes away? How long before I feel better? You know, is it going to... Is it going to hurt forever? Is God ever going to make me uh, have joy again? And I think that um, that's a very prominent example of that. And when you're in that grief or in that depressed state, that's another one is when people struggle with depression, um, which happens even among believers, um, even among pastors, when people struggle, you know, with grief, with depression. Um, when they're struggling to uh, pay their bills because they lost their job or their, fine, or their uh, retirement accounts tanked, you know, there's this, this I, you know, how long am I gonna be in this desperate place of, of worry, of fear, of sadness, of loss? Um, I think that it's a, it's a quite common, more common than uncommon expression um, in our hearts. I do want and to say though what... too, it's Go ahead. it's interesting. He... I was I was reading um, the commentary on this by Tim Seleska, hmm. um, whom both of us heard, you know, of course, at uh, seminary. Yep. Fantastic preacher, and one of the things that he also mentioned is that this phrase is also used in Scripture, how long, to refer to frustration as well, and that we can't rule out the fact that David may Man. also be frustrated uh, with his circumstances and not just depressed. He gives a reference to Job 19 verses two to three, where Job basically says, how long am I going to have to put up with these friends that are poor comforters? <laughs> and right. Jesus right. says this in Mark Man. nine nineteen. After he's coming down the Mount of Transfiguration, and he finds this crowd assembled, and his disciples have been unable to drive out the demon that is causing this boy to be mute, and they cast him into fire and water to try to kill him. And the father says, you know, Lord, uh, you know, your disciples couldn't do it. If you can, can you figure it out? And Jesus says, how long must I put up with this unbelieving generation? Um... You know, so, so even for our Lord, <laughs> it's str- this, this phrase, it's, it's strange to hear it on the lips of our Lord, but um, in that case, it was frustration. Um, and, and I think that for a lot of us, when we're in those situations, sorrow and frustration are mixed. The frustration comes from our feeling of, helpless, of, of helplessness, and the sorrow comes from our feeling of hope, hopelessness.
0: And you can definitely feel that with David in verse 1 where he says, How long, O Lord Yahweh, will you forget me forever? So he doesn't say, How long will you forget me? He says the word forever at the end, showing mm-hmm. that he does not see the the light at the end of the tunnel. And I think mm-hmm. that really hits on what you were saying about somebody who's going through grief will ask that kind of question. How long, will I, how long is it going to be before I feel better? It's not a matter of saying, well, I I know it's going to be a week or two or six months or whatever it might be, but this does not seem like it will ever go away. So I'm thinking about David in this context. Everything I read kind of said, well, he's, it seems like he's running from something. It might not necessarily be depression, but he's running from something. Did you find anything on that? Any context of what David was doing when he wrote the psalm?
1: No, he, from his life, of course, we know he often was on the run from, um, flesh and blood enemies, his father-in-law Saul, um, Philistines. um, During his own kingship, he had to flee Jerusalem because of the attack of his son Absalom. And, um, you know, so there were a lot of scary enemies in his life. And in many of the songs, when he talks about them, either in a complaint or a lament, um, he'll mention them by name. Like, for example, there's a mention of I think it's Doag, the Edomite, and things like this, or or Abimelech, the uh Philistine. And and he'll, you know, they'll be mentioned in the superscript of the psalm. Uh and but here it's it's undefined. How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? Um as I reflected on that devotionally, I thought about the fact that, you know, often we feel like a person in our life, perhaps um, a grumpy neighbor, a, a coworker we don't get along with, a mean boss, um, somebody perhaps of a different political persuasion. Uh, we, we, we feel like they are our enemy. Ephesians 6 reminds us, of course, that our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but that our ultimate enemies are spiritual. Um, and so as I was thinking about that devotionally, I thought... Well, a very Lutheran way to view our enemies then is that that unholy axis of evil, that triad of sin, death, and the devil,
0: mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. and that even if, and, and even if we don't feel like we have a flesh and blood enemy right now, um, or even an emotional enemy like that sorrow or depression, you know, we do have, you know, a, our enemy of sin that causes us to stumble and puts separation between us and God and us and other people, uh, death that's coming for us unless Christ returns first and the devil, you know, who's always tripping us up and wants to tempt us to despair. Um, sometimes, you know, people will say, well, how can I read or pray a Psalm like Psalm 13 if I don't feel badly, you know, kind of like somebody else saying, how can I pray Psalm hundred and make a joyful noise of the Lord when I feel like garbage? Um, Hmm. But we have to remember that, um, you know, as we pray these, we're not just, um, you know, it, it's it's not just to pray it to feel how we feel today, but to tuck it away, to store up God's word in our heart so that um, at, when we do encounter that great joy or that great sorrow, the Holy Spirit pulls that psalm of our heart out of our memory banks um, and brings it back to us, and so then when you do feel like you have an enemy before you, um, this can be a you know a great psalm to um,
0: give voice to that feeling or expression. Yeah, that that is you know there's a lot of pastoral care, spiritual care, care of your your loved ones, applications that you you brought to us. And that's where I mean, boy, I don't know if we could get past verse two at this whole time because yeah. uh, because this is really good because I think this is this prayer that David is is praying is totally our prayer. Whether you, like you said, whether you are joyous or whether you're going through a very difficult time, we all can relate with it. And I wanted to touch on a few things. The, the second thing is the second part of verse one: How long will you hide your face from me? Mm-hmm. And this is really interesting because, because there's this like knowledge of God where we're like, okay, God never hides from us. You know, he's always there. He's, he's our Emmanuel. He doesn't leave us, but he definitely is bringing out the reality that we feel like, where is God in the midst of this? He, he, he seems to have hidden himself behind the bushel. He seems to be hidden hiding completely from us. Yes. And so that's my question for you, pastor is, as what does this capture for us because it's not theologically like oh yeah well god hides from us sometimes but it does bring up that reality it's a he's a realist as he says this. any thoughts
1: yeah absolutely i the reality doesn't always line up with our perception of reality and um i you know i know that sometimes people joke about how you know lutherans are these um you know stoic uh uh, emotionless people of Northern European stock, which is uh, quite a stereotype. But <laughs> but the reality is that, you know, our our emotions, um, at, like our reason, are corrupted by the fall. It doesn't deny the fact that our, our feelings are there, um, but our feelings uh, can deceive us. But even so, uh, you know, like the feeling that God has hidden from you or forgotten you, well, of course he doesn't. As he says in Isaiah, how can I forget you, Ephraim? I have engraved you in the palm of my hand. Um, or as you pointed out, Jesus saying, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. So even though God doesn't leave us and doesn't hide from us, it's it's okay to admit um, that we feel like he does. But ultimately, um, you know, when you get to verse 5 I know we're not there yet but that's where the theological truth comes and then restores hope to David and this is why as believers regardless of how we feel we still need to meditate on the promises of scripture that God has made to us in Christ Jesus and um and and, and to 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 hold on to um, the truth of God's word, even when our, our, our hearts perhaps belie uh, what that truth in fact is. And again, maybe that doesn't sound, maybe that sounds kind of, um, again, not very warm and fuzzy, but the truth of God's word is the ultimate antidote to um, any lie that would deceive us, including our own um, wrong thoughts or feelings about God when we're down in the
0: dumps. And this is where it's important for us to look at scripture within the context of this being poetic, this being a prayer. So you can't say, oh, okay, well, God uh, obviously hides himself from us. We know that there's a hiddenness of God. where We just don't understand. And that's, we don't understand what he's doing. And that's really where this would go into it. But you also don't want to say, okay, God hides from us sometimes. And we don't know if he's there or not. Like, no, (laughs) it's pretty clear that he's omnipresent is a common term that we'll use to describe mm-hmm. god and it's important for us as we look at um as we look at the psalms it's poetic it it, it definitely is a, uh, a psalm of lament and points us to truth especially when you continue on in in that chapter so pastor right now we need to take our break we are studying and praying psalm 13 and we'll be right back And welcome back. We are studying and praying Psalm 13 with Pastor Chris Mathis of Epiphany Lutheran Church in Castle Rock, Colorado, right next to a volcano. Who knew this? Uh, Pastor Chris versus the volcano maybe should be the next tagline uh, we use in this. But anyways, as we look at Psalm 13, we are at a wonderful point to ask this question, because what we've been doing on this program is we study uh, the scriptures, uh, we see Christ, and and we have taken these week-long breaks to go to the Psalms, which then brings me to question, how, why do we use the Psalms? So, Pastor, as we look at the Psalms, why are the Psalms an important part of the Christian's walk as they pray the Psalms? Why should the Psalms be an important part of that?
1: There are a lot of reasons for it. I think the first and foremost is that the Psalms go through the full breadth and depth Of human experience and emotion both the positive and the not so enjoyable Um, and so they show us a way to pray remember how Jesus disciples asked him uh, Lord John taught his disciples how to pray can you teach us and Jesus gave them the Lord's Prayer but I think we also need to remember the example of our Lord that the Psalms Uh, were on his lips, even on the cross. Some of those final words that he spoke from the cross, um, such as, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Or, uh, into your hands I commit my spirit. Those are directly from the Psalms. And so if our Lord Jesus prayed the Psalms, he's also showing us that the Psalms are part of our prayer life as well. Um, Sometimes people say, you know, well, I'm so I'm so tired. I'm so frustrated. I'm so, um, you know, whatever I'm prayed out pastor. So what should I pray? Mm. And I always point people, then I say, if you don't know what else to pray, first of all, take comfort knowing that the Holy spirit intercedes for you with groanings that are too deep for words. So even your, your sighs and your grunts and your choking back the tears are prayers, but then go to the Lord's prayer in the Psalms and they will teach you how to pray. Um, and of course, if no, another thing that I think is just really important for people to remember is that the Psalms are the most quoted book of the Old Testament by the New Testament. Mm. And so that should be a cue to us also of their importance, their centrality to um, the theology, the worship, the life of the church. Um, we should be uh, breathing and bleeding the Psalms. That is, uh, these are the words that God has given to us to speak back to him.
0: And every, really, but that's really, that's really helpful. The, the breathing and bleeding the Psalms. Is that what you said? Yes, sir. Oh, that is so good. Because uh, tell us more. What does that mean? What does that mean? I, th- I think I know what it means, but what does it mean?
1: Well, for me, it, it, it means that they really become a part of you. I was kind of alluding to, alluding to that before the break, and mm-hmm. um, but more than just memory, but truly, um, you know, making them your own. That can be difficult, uh, especially when it comes to some of those imprecatory psalms. You know, where you're asking God to destroy your enemies and you know uh, stamp out their family tree and all this kind of stuff. And we think, wow. I thought Jesus wants us to love our enemies. Oh, right. And right. Pray right. for them. And um I think Dietrich Bonhoeffer is helpful here who uh wrote this masterful little book that is not very well known called Prayer Book of the Bible. Mm. And in that book he kind of provides some overall overview of the Psalms, the different types of Psalms, but then also talks about why it's important for us to pray them as Christians. And he actually says that these are the prayers of Christ. The the Psalms are the prayers of Christ. And because we are in Christ, uh, baptized into his body by one spirit through one baptism, uh, these are our prayers as well. And ultimately, only in Christ can we pray them to their fullness. And, and so I think that that breathing and bleeding the Psalms kind of idea, besides being nice alliteration, is mm-hmm. <laughs> the mm-hmm. fact that, you know, just like we take in and breathe out air, so we take in the Psalms through our ears and we breathe them out on our lips and they become such a part of us that, um, you know, they're, they're part of the very makeup of who we are, which is why I mentioned bleeding the Psalms. Uh, remember Luther said, if you cut the scriptures, they would bleed Christ. Well, if if the scriptures bleed Christ and we bleed his word, then the Psalms are a hugely important, central component of that.
0: Wow, I am I'm trying to catch up with all these great quotes. I mean, this is wonderful. Um, because it Luther does speak that way, and I forgot that quote where he says, You've got the scriptures, it would bleed Christ, and that is such a great reminder, because we talk a lot about here on Thy Strong Word about Put it on our Christ goggles, but this is much more vivid of an understanding of not only is it is it within it, you know, it points us obviously back to the blood of Jesus, which which we have here, like you said, "My God, My God, why have you forsaken me?" Kind of lament mm-hmm. that 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 Jesus did Himself, and so, Pastor, one of the one of the thoughts I had as you're saying this is as this is a lament psalm that it, it does two things. First, it assumes there is a God. And and this is important yes. because a lot of times, well, and my the people of my congregation and other Christian friends I have have taught me this so much is that I think a lot of times we assume that when tragedy happens, people just deny God. Like, no, there's no God. This happened, there's no God. But what I found is the people I've worked with. I mean, yeah, there's people who are, who are you know, on the verge of, of wondering about this. But when David writes this, he is definitely frustrated. He's definitely angry. He's definitely at the edge of despair. But he assumes God because he's talking to God and says, what are you doing? What is your deal? What's your story? Is kind of the, the language he's using, probably more expletive than that. And and with that came to fruition for me when, when one of my members had tragedy And they said this um that that you know what me and the lord are not in a conversation relationship right now Mm. and that first you hear that you're like oh my i mean the 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 uh the part of me wants to say well of course you can still talk to him but he was speaking like job right um and and he he's not saying i will never talk to god again or there is no god what he's saying is right now i'm not happy with you like you are maybe not with your kids or your spouse whoever so I need a little break, but there is, he knows that the Lord is still there. Any reflections on that? Cause that's, that's an important piece of this lament that I think is great too.
1: Yeah, you're, you're absolutely right. He still addresses God, uh, right in the opening words, how long, O Lord. And in verse three, he still claims the Lord as his God. He says, consider and answer me, O Lord, my God. so he hasn't lost his faith he hasn't thrown away his relationship of trust and mercy and grace with the lord he he still regards god as his god and i think that that is hugely significant um kind of like like when like you said when you're when you're mad at your spouse or your kids or your parents, they don't stop being your spouse or your kids or your parents. Right, but yeah. it may be difficult to have a conversation at that time. But, <laughs> um, but ultimately, you do return to that relationship because it is one of love and trust and forgiveness. And we do the same with God, and he never stops seeking us. Um, in Psalm 27, there's a similar idea where Um, you know, David says, you have said, seek my face, your face, Lord, I do seek, Mm. do not turn away your face from me, which is kind of like this. How long will you hide your face? And so, um, even if there's a time of venting, if we can call it that with God, um, You know, he's not going to turn his back on us just because we give him the full force and fury of our anger, sadness, frustration, and lament. Um, He stays connected. Uh, He stays connected to us by his word, by his spirit, by his sacraments. and, um, And because he stays connected to us, we are still connected to him, even when it might feel like there is a separation.
0: That brings up another thought I have. I want to read verses 3 and 4 and bring up the thought that I have, which, which relates to exactly what you're saying, where just because you are not in speaking terms, does not mean the relationship has changed. Um, You know, that the, the, the God still is God. God is still our Savior. He still redeems. He still saves. Um, he is still omnipresent. He's all-powerful, all, powerful, all those things but it shows the broken world and an understanding of who we are and why we, well, why we need him. So I'll read verses three and four, and I want to tell another story if I can. Verses three and four. Mm -hmm. Consider and answer me, O Lord, my God, light up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Lest my enemies say I have prevailed over him. Lest my foes rejoice because I am shaken. Now, there's a transition here, definitely in verses three and four. And, and he, he turns from kind of like, what are you up to saying, help me basically. Mm-hmm. And I see that transition in, in this, a pastor. I talked to a pastor friend of mine and he spoke about the laments that we can have as pastors. And this is not to negate anybody else in your vocations, but just, you know, this is, you know, what we'll have. And he spoke about how he would lament to his, his wife and after a number of years, one of the insights that she had was, she said, "You know what? I am committed to listening to your." She said complaints, um, but I'm never going to give you the out. For example, that you're complaining all day. What's the point? What's the point? What's the point? And she's like, I don't give you the out to say, "Well, I'm going to get out of ministry," or "I'm going to get out of this." I don't give you that out. I let you say it. I'm going to calmly listen to it, and at the end she'll say, I love you. And I thought that was so insightful. First of all, I think my wife does that too to me. Um, so, but it's one of those really insightful realities. And I think it points us to God even more so that he doesn't give us the out. He doesn't give us the out and say, okay, well, good, you can leave me now because I'm sick of listening to you. No. <laughs> and, and this transition, I feel like, shows that kind of relationship where the God doesn't leave us and it transitions from just complaints to help me. Any thoughts as we, as we move on to these verses? Well, that's,
1: that's very natural for how it is with us. You know, we vent, um, we, 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 we boil over, we blow our top and then we simmer down and then (laughs) we're ready to receive the help that God offers and and as you said like like a good wife who listens and says i love you but um you're not off the hook from your call <laughs> right <laughs> jeremiah famously was one who tried to quit a number of times and god wouldn't let him quit um and uh and he knew a thing or two about lament of course as the author yeah. of lamentations which you mentioned earlier yeah but uh yeah just because um in the moment we want to give up, you know, run away, whatever it might be. Um, and I, I know that maybe for some of your listeners, especially with the difficulty of this past um, year and a half, you know, we've heard about the rise in people taking their own life, the ultimate way of running away, but it doesn't solve anything. And, um, and so the, the ultimate solution is only God. Uh, remember, even Job, when he cried out continuously, chapter after chapter after chapter, "Why me, Lord? Why me?" When God finally shows up and speaks to him in chapter thirty-eight, his um, his answer: "Who is this who darkens my counsel with, by knowledge without words and understanding? Where were you when I, uh, you know, strung out the stars and created Behemoth and all of these things?" Essentially, what God says to Job is, "Who are you to ask?" But it's and he never gives him a set, what we would call um a satisfying answer as to why these things happened to job but he gives us himself because he himself is the answer
0: and so as we look at verses 3 and 4 it 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 it, it brings to light i think how how we should pray consider and answer me so basically saying lord give me an answer here Light up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. What is he saying there? I think it's wonderful imagery. What are your thoughts?
1: Well, if you've ever seen somebody who's extremely depressed or forlorn, that, that sort of that sparkle in their eyes is kind of gone. And, of course, um, when people are, are very despairing, they'll stop eating. They'll stop um, taking care of themselves, bathing um, you know doing the things necessary to keep them alive and so they quite literally you know we can um you know we 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 talk about people who die of a broken heart after their spouse dies and they die like two or three weeks or months later and I'm sure as a pastor you've seen this phenomenon as well and so um you know literally like if 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 god does not, bring a renewed sense of hope and joy to David, he may very well physically die. Um, And yet um, the joy that God ultimately wants to give us is not just from a long life here on earth, but eternal life in a new heaven and new earth with him forever.
0: And the the language is, I think something that, that I need to use for my own prayers. And when I, pray with others light up my eyes I think Mm -hmm. is a a wonderful way you know joy comes in the morning kind of that understanding and it Mm -hmm. and it reminds us of obviously the light of the world who is Jesus and we not only know that but Lord help my eyes to see that which I think is, is a powerful thing and pastor as we have about eight minutes left in our time anything else you want to highlight in verses three and four
1: yeah, verse 4 made me think of Moses,
0: mm. um, oh, yeah. of all people.
1: Okay. Yeah. Um, less, it, part of David's appeal to God to improve his situation is so that his enemy won't be able to um, essentially take pot shots at God's servant, which by extension is a pot shot at the Lord. And remember Moses, when he interceded for Israel after the golden calf incident, God wanted to wipe out Israel and start over with Moses being kind of a new Abraham, and and Moses said, nope, nope, because if you do that, then the Egyptians are going to talk bad stuff about you, Lord.
0: Yeah, yeah they're right. going to
1: say that the only reason you brought <laughs> um um uh, brought Israel out into the wilderness was to um to kill them off, and so that you know you can't do that, God. Otherwise, the Egyptians and Pharaoh are going to talk bad about you. This phrase in verse 4, lest my enemy say, um, it kind of reminded me of that. That's maybe just my only kind of thought there. Mm-hmm.
0: Well, there's, there's there's tons of that. We are not going to let the enemy win this. I mean, you can use that analogy with with war or you're talking about sports or something. But ultimately here he's saying we're not going to let the devil win the day. You know, um, We're not going to let the devil win this. And that's basically what we do when we're in the word. Um, when we're in, when we're in worship, when we're we're praying, uh, praying by His word, especially, um, you are not going to win because He's not going to rejoice over my weakness because my strength is in the name of the Lord. So, Pastor, I, I want to really make sure we get the last two verses over these mm-hmm. last six, seven minutes of our time, um, and it, it does connect, I think, beautifully to what we, what you mentioned with Jeremiah and Lamentations. So, verses five and six. But I have trusted in your steadfast love. my heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because He has dealt bountifully with me and I want to just quote this from Lamentations three because it's right in the heart of the middle of this book of lament, and it to me, I think this is the heart of this as well, where in lamentations he says. Um, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. That There's a connection there completely of not saying, oh, by the way, everything is perfect now, but he's showing where his strength is coming from, both Jeremiah and obviously David here. What are your thoughts on those last two verses?
1: Well, the the Lord's steadfast love is you know that's that that's a word that comes up in really important places throughout the old testament um the hebrew word is chesed and uh, sometimes uh it has it's this idea of covenant faithfulness the idea that you know that chesed is is being faithful to your promises no matter what and and we see this 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 word chesed this steadfast love um, as even in as part of the core of God's very character. Um, In Exodus 34, verse 6, the Lord, the Lord, a God who is gracious and merciful, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, abounding in chesed, covenant faithfulness, so that part of the very core of who God is, is is. commitment and, and that he doesn't let go even when we want to let go, you know, he doesn't, um, he doesn't turn his back on us or abandon us when the going gets rough. And it's, it's, it's just a wonderful thing that we can count on God no matter what. Hmm. And so despite the the fear of this enemy, whatever or whomever it may be in David's life. And no matter how hard it is for him to continue on, um, you know, part of it too. this, you know, lest I sleep the sleep of death, it could be this enemy killing him. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, quite literally with a javelin or a sword or something, but no matter what, even with all this uh, threat and, confusion and chaos and bad circumstance, David knows that God is faithful no matter what. And so that's why even in the middle of, um, and as you point out, that's what Jeremiah clings to, the steadfast love, the chesed, the covenant faithfulness of God never ceases. It never comes to an end. Um, God is there with us, for us, thick and thin by our side, no m- matter you know, no matter uh, what may come, he's right there with us and and, and, and that is um, an overwhelmingly wonderful thing to ponder
0: It, it, it is beyond comprehension of of <laughs> a, a steadfast is a word that we will use, but it for people. Um, for situations, because y- you and I know of, of people who are just steadfast in their faith, but they will, will leave this life, you know, and steadfastness is maybe a lifetime, maybe a few years, maybe a decade or whatever it might be, but the Lord's is forever. And this really is, you can almost feel David going from, how long will you hide from me forever, um, forget me forever, Even even stronger language in verse one, and here he uses that word steadfast love. I trust in your steadfast love to show that okay, what I felt like would be forever, um, this is even more forever. I mean, this is this is this is forever, forever kind of love that 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 is there for me. And you almost feel like he doesn't understand it either. He doesn't get it. This is beyond comprehension um, because right there, next line, he says, "My heart shall rejoice in your salvation." Because he realizes that, yeah, I'm, I'm, my despair is, is, is painful and awful. But somehow your love is even beyond that. And you steadfastly stick by me the whole time. So I'm going to rejoice, um, as Paul reminds us in Philippians chapter 4. In your thoughts? Amen. <laughs> yeah, just very,
1: very well said pastor finner so I, so i don't think i can add to that
0: okay well that's that's good so verse six is another affirmation that you know maybe you should be singing with us today um of course i'm putting it on you and not on me but i will sing to the lord because he has dealt bountifully with me what does he say in that last verse
1: well i i guess i will sing that last verse just so that we can have happy <laughs> listeners but I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. Okay. Nice. Now, now we have that. Um, so we, we sang. But um, notice I, it's it's very typical of the Psalms, either complaints or laments, that we move from the present trial to a future hope based on past action of God. So the present feeling, of course, is the I'm, I'm alone, I'm abandoned, you're hiding from me. But notice the future hope, I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. So we ultimately, when we look back at what God has done in our lives, we see the evidence of that covenant faithfulness that steadfast love and of course the ultimate picture of that is Christ dying on the cross for our sins and rising again to give us eternal life but we can even point to specific things like where he's been with us through a tough time in our life um you know perhaps for some people a divorce or a death or a job loss or whatever and and God brought us through that trial to a place of abundance and of mercy and grace and forgiveness and provision of our daily bread. And so in the present, we look backwards to find hope for what lies ahead. And Pastor, uh, I guess that's cool. kind of my takeaway from verse six. And that's that's very often how David's Psalms will end.
0: So, Pastor, we have about 30 seconds left um before we end our time. And how would you um how would you summarize this wonderful psalm?
1: Lord, it's a mess. What are you going to do about it? When are you going to do something about it? Uh, No matter what's going on, Lord, I know that you are going to do something about it. And so I am going to trust in you and hold on to
0: you and wait for the light to come. Pastor Chris Mathis of Epiphany Lutheran Church in Castle Rock, Colorado. Not only the first Colorado pastor we've had on this program, but also the first one to chant. So help us in helping <laughs> us pray Psalm 13. Pastor Mathis, thank you for bringing us his gifts.
1: Thank you, Pastor Finnan. God bless all of you.
0: Saints of our Lord, keep praying. Jesus says, in the world you have tribulation, but take heart. I have overcome the world. The Lord invites us to lament, but with a promise. That our laments are on a solid foundation of Jesus Christ, our Lord. As Pastor Mathis kept pointing us to, you cut the scriptures, there you will see the blood of Christ. And that is our hope and that is our strength. I'm your host, Brady Finnern, pastor of Messiah Lutheran Church in Sartell, Minnesota. Thank you for joining us and the Lord keep you safe in the palm of his hand.